0: That was Psalm 1. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Holy One, we thank you for the the poetry of your people, for the prayers of your saints throughout the centuries that calls us back to you again and again. We pray that you would help us to hear again your, your good word to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, when those saints go marching in. Oh, when those saints go marching in. Oh, how I want to be in that number. Oh, when the saints go marching in. You're so good. That was so great. Thank you. Happy All Saints Day, church. I know that the official day was last Tuesday, but congregations do typically continue to celebrate the Sunday after, so here we are. And every Sunday, it is good to rejoice in the communion of saints, the priesthood of all believers. We remember those saints who have gone before us, the saints who continue to walk alongside of us, and perhaps even the saints who have yet to be. We can consider together what it means to be a saint of God, what it takes to be in that number. Oh, when the saints go marching in. And praise God that today's scripture reading from our fall survey of the Old Testament helps with this reflection. Funny how that often happens. It wasn't intentional that these things coincided, and yet that does seem to be the way of things, how we we can land on just the right passage at just the right time. Or maybe it only seems that way for those who are often reading Scripture. If you reflect on it frequently enough, something is sure to click. It could be the Holy Spirit at work in us, or it could just be the law of probability. But either way, Psalm 1 reminds us that the path to life involves delighting in God's instruction. The psalmist claims that those who meditate on Torah, on God's teaching, are blessed. This is what makes for growth in saintliness. And since this psalm serves as an introduction to the book of Psalms, one implication is that we would be wise to recite the psalms in particular day and night as it says for the sake of righteousness. Since this prayer book is in the physical center of our Bible, sometimes all we have to do is let it plop open and see what appears. Perhaps it will be just the right word at just the right time. Now, this isn't to see to say that the Psalms are easy to read, though. So some intentional study does help. There are a lot of challenging themes in these prayers of the Bible, which is why... The introduction in Psalm 1 says not just to read them, but we're instructed to meditate on them, to take a more active form of reading and listening. Some translations say that we should murmur or read aloud. Often we even have to wrestle with the Psalms, as in ask questions and think critically about them and discuss them with others. And this Psalm in particular, Psalm 1, it's no exception since uh, cursory reading can lead to some unfortunate conclusions. So I'm going to go over a few parts today, beginning with the very first line, which has a significant translation issue. The common English Bible version, which we just heard and which I normally like, it begins by saying the truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, which seems obvious enough. But in this instance, a different word choice might be more helpful, since saintliness is not just about happiness. The original Hebrew word there in that psalm begins with a word that can mean either happy or blessed. So many translations, such as uh, the NIV, instead reads, "Blessed." Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Not happy, but blessed. And there is a difference. Since following God's instruction doesn't always lead to happiness. At least not the way that we tend to think about it. I know our culture these days is really into the pursuit of happiness. You know, there's blogs on happiness and books on how to become more happy. There's those articles, five ways to become a happier person. Therapists tell us, don't worry, be happy. And this is all well intentioned. Happier people do tend to be healthier and better off in various ways. But our scriptures tend to be a little bit deeper than that and sometimes more realistic. When we actually read these Psalms, all 150 of them, we find that a number of these, a large number of these Psalms, are Psalms of lament of complaining where the the righteous suffer and injustice runs rampant. Similarly, if doing the right thing always led to happiness, then Jesus probably would have been the happiest guy around. But that's not really the way we remember him. And Jesus himself, he didn't teach so much about happiness as about blessing, which is deeper than happiness, According to this psalm, there's a kind of joy, a kind of satisfaction that comes from pursuing God's reign, which is some, somehow different from merely being happy. The psalm describes it as a form of delight, how the righteous person delights in God's instruction, no matter how he or she may feel on any particular day. And I think this is actually good news for those who find happiness to sometimes be elusive. Like those saints whose pain or grief does not allow them to feel very happy much of the time. The Psalms do not require us to put on a happy face or pretend that everything is all right. We are taught that the path to life, to true life, can still be tread through tears, And the cross of Christ implies that sometimes, sometimes the only way to greater life is actually through suffering. Now, this is not a popular idea, to put it mildly. That's why the first part of this poem launches right into the sense in which our our orientation may put us at odds with others. Blessed is the one who does not go along with the wicked, it says. As in following bad advice, standing on the wrong sides, sitting with scoffers. I like that last image in particular, sitting with scoffers. It's worth pausing to meditate on. Have you ever been in a class or at a training where there's people scoffing at the presenter? I certainly have. There's sometimes a row in the back where folks are making snide comments And it can be tempting to want to join in since there's solidarity sometimes in making fun of stuff. Might even make you happy for a minute. Only this psalm warns specifically about disdaining the instruction of God. As in joining the folk who openly disdain the idea of devotion. As if prayer or Bible study is a waste of time. A lot of people today Take care not to appear too religious because it's just not the cool thing to do. And yet the psalmist insists that we are blessed when we actually practice our faith in these ways because this is actually the way to life, to real life, to a good and long life. God supports the way of the righteous while the path that is not of God it leads nowhere. The central metaphor of this poem is, is then meant to show this. It compares the saint of God to a tree planted by the waters, another image that's worth meditating on. It's a picture that harkens back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and then forward all the way to the end at the heart of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. From beginning to end, our scriptures imply that we have a lot to learn from trees. Which, of course, I also appreciate since I'm a bit of a tree hugger myself. I used to be in love with the giant conifers of the Pacific Northwest with their branches that reach skyward seemingly in constant praise to God. I love the way evergreen needles are forever producing oxygen and Helping pull carbon dioxide out of the air. Don't you love the smell of Christmas trees during Advent? And then living here, I've also come to appreciate the beautiful deciduous trees of the oak savannas and prairies, like the sugar maple that's outside this window, the one that lights up like a burning bush in the fall and drops its leaves to nourish the earth during the winter. In the summer, it hosts nests for birds and bugs. I love how trees provide habitat for all of God's creatures in every season. I want to be like that too. That's a great image of blessing rather than mere happiness. But I also notice in that image in the psalm, in this particular psalm, it's a fruit tree that's being described Fruit trees, I've noticed, aren't always pretty like ornamentals, which is also somewhat reassuring since uh, saints aren't necessarily pretty. Fruit trees tend to be more functional than decorative, and they aren't necessarily a natural part of the forest either. They don't occur on their own. The Psalm says that the righteous one is like a tree that is planted, as in intentionally cultivated like the fruit trees that we have planted out here in our food forest. Saints are like trees that are grafted to bear good fruit, which might sound like a little bit of work. I took someone on a tour of our little food forest the other day, and she asked, well, who's doing all the work of caring for these trees and and bushes that have been planted? And I tried to explain. I said, well, there's actually... Not a lot of ongoing maintenance that has to be done with trees, unlike with annuals. They more or less take care of themselves. When they're young, you just have to make sure that they they get enough water during dry spells. So then in this psalm, I notice that that's, that's one other detail that is mentioned. The need for water. How we're meant to be trees planted by a water source. Maybe like the bald cypress and the river birch we have planted out front by the drainage ditch. Those trees we don't have to water so much because there's an underground spring nearby. If they develop deep roots, those trees will never dry out. Which then leads me to notice, don't we as Christians also have access to an ever-flowing stream Haven't we also been planted near living water? What would it look like for us to draw on that fountain? To soak up those waters? The psalm doesn't say anything about planting ourselves. Maybe that's already happened. Maybe God does the planting part. But seeing as how we are planted near the waters and not actually in them, how would we go about staying connected? What would it look like for the saints of God to continue to reach toward the waters of life? I remember one shortly after Hurricane Katrina, I was on a church trip on the Mississippi coast doing some cleanup work, and I couldn't get over the massive trees that I saw down there everywhere we went. It was somewhat, somewhat of a surprise to me. I had assumed that the hurricane would have taken out those large trees, just as it had picked up entire houses and washed them down the street. But not so. Everywhere, everywhere we went, there were these towering giants, seemingly unfazed by the wind and the rain and the flood. They were stunningly beautiful. I kept taking pictures of them. But then I started to notice as I did this that there, there weren't many small trees around. It seemed like the big ones were the, the only trees left. I could only assume that this had to do with their deep root systems, which had developed slowly over decades to anchor them firmly in the ground. The storms of life would come and go But these mature trees would not be moved, not even by a hurricane. So no wonder the psalmist compared the saint of God to a tree that is planted by the water, the one that will not be washed away or blown over. Those who are grounded in God's instruction are the ones who endure, that do not wither or fade. God is well acquainted with all of their ways. They bear good fruit. They grow and flourish. This is God's blessing. Meanwhile, those who don't listen to God or draw on God's life-giving water, the psalm doesn't say that uh, anyone cuts them down, but somehow they perish nonetheless maybe simply from a lack of resilience, a failure to have developed deep, secure roots. So in closing, I ask you again to consider what this may imply for us saints of God. For you and for me to be like fruit trees that are planted by the waters of life. I mentioned a few things early on, but The wonderful thing about poetry is that it lends itself to a diversity of interpretations. This metaphor could translate differently for you depending on whether you see yourself as a maple or an apple tree or a cherry tree or a pawpaw. But whatever our particular gifts, hear the good news that we have been planted next to the same life-giving baptismal water. These psalms speak to us of God's ongoing presence and provision, no matter how different our conditions for growth. We have also been blessed by the same Spirit of God, blowing among us like wind in the trees, encouraging us to grow deeper roots and stronger branches. So as you've considered the trees this morning, what have you heard God saying to you, about how you could meditate on God's instruction day and night. For instance, what are the routines that have sustained you amidst the storms of life? What are your keystone habits that help you to grow deep roots? And what have you learned from observing other saints, the other towering giants in God's beloved overstory? How have they been able to avoid sitting with the scoffers? What has enabled them to stand up for justice, to walk in paths of righteousness? I encourage you now to find a saint around you and to talk about this tree to tree. Please take a couple minutes to murmur together, to meditate together on God's word, and I will call you back with prayer. Ready? Go. Go.